Mormon Stories podcast depends entirely upon the voluntary contributions of you, its listeners. To keep Mormon Stories alive, please consider donating today at mormonstories.org. To make a contribution to Mormon Stories, just click on the Make a Donation button at the top right of the mormonstories.org website. For all this and more, please check out mormonstories.org. And thank you for listening. Hi, this is John DeLynn, and thank you again for joining us on Mormon Stories. You are about to hear the final portion of my five-part interview with Dr. Richard Bushman, former stake president and current patriarch of the LDS Church, professor of U.S. history, and author of the book, Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling. Before I play the interview, I wanted to share a few final thoughts. At the beginning of the series, I indicated that Dr. Bushman and I intended to cover 10 or so of the toughest issues surrounding Joseph Smith's history. Unfortunately, because of the breadth and depth of the first several segments, we burned through all the time that Dr. Bushman was able to offer and will not continue beyond this final episode, at least for now. Dr. Bushman has indicated that he may have time at some future date to continue the series, so there's still some chance. But for now, this will be the final segment of a five-part interview with Dr. Richard Bushman. I want to take the time, again, to thank Dr. Bushman for his willingness to come on Mormon Stories podcast. In making that decision, it seems as though he had everything to lose and precious little to gain. In my opinion, Dr. Bushman walks a very fine and difficult line. On the one hand, he is viewed almost universally as a faithful, devoted member of the LDS Church, not only in good standing, but as we mentioned before, currently serving as a patriarch for the Church. His books have been widely sold in Church bookstores, and many feel that he has at least tacit approval from the leaders of the LDS Church to do what he is doing. We should not underestimate the heavy burden that he must feel in this position. Notwithstanding, Dr. Bushman is not only a scholar, but remains a clear champion of more open, honest, and accurate history within the LDS Church. He is not merely defending Joseph in the Church. He is also calling for change, improvements, if you will, on all of our parts. This position, between the extremes, can be a very lonely road to walk. On the one hand, He risks being criticized by conservatives as eroding faith by airing too much, quote, dirty laundry, unquote, as they say. On the other hand, he exposes himself to ridicule, derision, and even blind dismissal by disaffected Mormons for acting out the role of apologist. Again, this can be a very lonely road to walk, one that requires deep faith, heavy preparation, strong integrity and conviction. In my estimation, Dr. Bushman deserves great praise and admiration for trying to walk this middle path. While dissenting scholars like Brody, Quinn, Palmer, Compton, and Vogel clearly deserve our deep respect, so does Dr. Bushman. Regardless of what type of Mormon or ex-Mormon you are, 
For those of us who are interested in mainstream members of the LDS Church finally coming to grips with the factual, toughest aspects of Joseph Smith and LDS Church history, including peepstones, masonry, polyandry, kingdom of God, the Nauvoo Expositor, the Kinderhook Plates, and all of the other tough topics, I cannot think of another Mormon historian who has done more to drive awareness of these issues deeper into mainstream Mormonism than has Dr. Bushman. In that respect, he deserves credit and praise from all sides of the faith spectrum. And yet he continues to believe. Perhaps the most amazing, inspiring, and for some, maddening aspect of all. Still, as I've re-listened to these interviews, I remain almost stunned at the non-traditional language Dr. Bushman is willing to use in his discussions of LDS faith, even as a patriarch for the church. He describes his testimony as being centered upon goodness rather than the traditional language of truthfulness with a capital T, though I'm sure that he also holds the gospel to be true. Still, this is reassuring language from the many saints who struggle with the words no and true relative to testimonies. It is like a breath of fresh air. Instead of avoiding the issue, Dr. Bushman openly acknowledges the paradox of the honest yet faithful saint and scholar who experiences the conflict between a belief in the exclusive truthfulness of the LDS Church and the awareness that there is much good in the world outside of Mormonism and that there must be more to God's plan than what we currently know. This, again, is very refreshing. He boldly calls for more openness and honesty within our church at all levels and acknowledges that perhaps our hesitancy to be candid with the historical evidence has caused many to feel unnecessary pain and feelings of having been deceived. He does not blame the victim. In addition, Dr. Bushman is willing to step out from the safety and control of the written word and directly confront charge question after charge question in my own narrative with both poise and acceptance. Never shying away from the harder aspects of the history, always validating the historical evidence, and never resulting to ad hominem attacks, as so many Mormon apologists have done in the past and continue to do. He is respectful enough to show deference to and even praise for someone like Dan Vogel, in spite of the fact that Mr. Vogel is not by any means a traditional believer in the church. And perhaps most importantly of all, Dr. Bushman extends words of support and encouragement to those who are struggling and questioning their faith. He does not demean them, but instead shows compassion and understanding for their plight and openly encourages them to continue the struggle, to not give up the quest. He even reduces the dilemma to something very simple. He calls the belief in prophets a choice something that our heavy emphasis in the spirit and feelings often does not allow. In conclusion, if every faithful member of the church, from apostle to prophet to general authority to stake president to bishop to ward member to neighbor and to family member, were to follow Dr. Bushman's example of how to deal with Mormon history, and those who have been negatively affected by it. 
I firmly believe that there would be significantly less pain, anguish, suffering, divorce, isolation, disaffection, antagonism, loneliness, depression, and maybe even suicide within Mormonism. If I have any criticism of the interview at all, it is in a slight contradiction that I and a few others have noted in Dr. Bushman's narrative. On the one hand, he begins by speaking so highly of his early Harvard days, where he and other members of the church were able to spend hours upon hours of time studying, exploring, and discussing all aspects of Mormonism, without any real fear of judgment or castigation. While I acknowledge that the Mormon Historical Association allows for dissenting views, I remain uncertain as to what forums Mormons today have for similar types of discussions. Certainly not Sunday school. Study groups and symposia have been formally discouraged by church leadership. And while Sunstone has made great strides under the leadership of Dan Wotherspoon and others to emphasize what is positive and faithful within Mormonism, the stigma remains. I will ask our listeners and Dr. Bushman an open, somewhat rhetorical question. Where, other than on the internet, and in Sunstone and in dialogue, can faithful LDS members go to openly discuss the issues and controversies of both LDS church history and other social aspects of the church without fear of judgment, disloyalty, or punishment? Where are the open forums for thought and faith within Mormonism accessible to all? Sunstone has definitely been through its ups and downs, but until I learn of a better place, I will continue to give Sunstone, Dialogue, and even the Bloggernacle my time and support. For those who are not comfortable with Sunstone and Dialogue in other places, but are aware of the dilemma of disaffected LDS saints due to history and other cultural issues, I'll ask this one last time. Where can disaffected Mormons go for open, friendly, informed, non-judgmental, church-sanctioned support? If it is not the church's role to directly and officially reach out to those struggling with their faith, what is their role exactly? And if it is not Sunstone or Dialogue, who? Who is it? And where do we go? Now, about this episode. After four hours of interviews with me, it was clear that Dr. Bushman felt as though, in his words, I'd gotten the best out of him. Once we realized that it was time to wrap up, there were a few final thoughts that Dr. Bushman wanted to share with my listeners. So the first part of this episode represents his final thoughts about the interview and the challenges of dealing with tough Mormon history in general. The last part of the interview, however, represents something that was very important to me. After drilling down so deep on the controversy of Joseph Smith's life, I didn't feel comfortable ending on a negative and controversial note. So I asked Dr. Bushman to share with us a story or two that would encapsulate his view and even testimony of Joseph Smith, the prophet, after a lifetime of studying both the man and the prophet. This segment ends with that story and those expressions by Dr. Bushman. As a final request, if you end up appreciating, finding value, or even experiencing renewed faith because of this interview with Dr. Bushman, please take the time to send me an email at mormonstories at gmail.com, addressed to Dr. Bushman, and I will make sure that he receives the email. Since Dr. Bushman is quite likely to receive some grief simply for coming on Mormon Stories podcast, 
given our open format and our willingness to explore all sides of an issue. I would really appreciate it if the listeners of mine who felt inspired or appreciative of the interview would take the time to let Dr. Bushman know how much his scholarship and faith have meant to them. And who knows, maybe we can even convince them to complete the series, when the time is right, of course. And now, without any further ado, on with the final segment of my five-part interview with Dr. Richard Bushman, author of Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling. Your story, today on Mormon Stories. So all of that um, got me to thinking about the whole business of responding to um, Grant Palmer or other of these people who write uh, uh, attacks on Joseph Smith. And I keep trying to figure out why it is I can't really respond. It's never satisfying. It always seems partial and ineffective. And the image that came to my mind is someone being attacked by a swarm of bees and being stung all over all at once. So I come up and say, what can I do for you? And they say, I've been stung by all these bees. So I go to one of the bee stings and I try to take out the stinger and I try to administer some anointment. And you know, it gets better a little bit, but it still kind of hurts and it isn't perfect. And I say, well, now do you feel better? And he says, well, no, I got all these other bee stings. And it's so difficult to sort of go back one by one and pick off each one of these little problems and satisfy them because it usually ends up as not completely satisfying. It's always sort of in the middle, like uh, this case. And you know, you can say, well, that definitely discounts the witnesses altogether, as far as I'm concerned. Or you can say, well, I can see they're witnessing to something that was very powerful, something that persuaded them. So we still have to take the witnesses seriously. So the result is not clean cut. And uh, you don't really feel like you've answered it. You just sort of moderated uh, the problem. So those are a couple of thoughts I had. I have some others, but... Uh, do you want to jump in and say something in response? <clears throat> no, I, <clears throat> yeah, and I, I just have to tell you how good of a sport you've been and you were because, yeah, it is it is overwhelming and, and it's overwhelming to be, as you know and you've acknowledged, it's also overwhelming to be on the end of the bee stings and to not because people don't, sometimes when, when someone stumbles onto this stuff they're accused of adultery or they're accused of kicking against the pricks or disobedience, but it's. It's usually the, it's not, you know, people don't fall into this because they care too little. It seems like the, the ones who take the time to actually study the history, most often they're motivated because they care so much. And that's what makes those bee stings so painful mm-hmm. is that, is that I didn't ask, you know, and, and I just have to tell you that from the people who have sent me feedback on your interviews so far, I've had one lady actually tell me that, that she's now believing in Joseph Smith again after years of disbelief just from hearing your testimony. Mm-hmm. So, on the you know, I, I just want to say that it is overwhelming for you and for anyone to try to respond to the critics. And it's also a sad situation because it's overwhelming for a lot of the people who are struggling with it. Mm-hmm. But, but to try and fight off those bees 
and to try and help with the stings. It may not solve all the problems, but I don't know, to extend the analogy, sometimes I feel like it's better than leaving the person to be eaten by the bees. And that's, yeah. that's sort of the spirit with which I was hoping to have the conversation. But I know it's not clean. It's not uh, precise. It's mm-hmm. messy. But I think you've, you've done a marvelous job in helping me and many of my listeners. Because who will stand up and, and, and try and answer these questions? Most of the feedback I've gotten as well isn't that, you know, isn't that, oh, they solved my problems. It's like I'm inspired by the fact that someone's willing to stand up, take the questions in an unscripted, uncontrolled forum and take the heat. Because that shows a courage that that uh, and, a, and a conviction that this is something worth fighting for versus like on a Sunday morning political talk show trying to not answer the question or dodge the question or avoid even having to go answer the question. So I, I just can't say enough how, how courageous and helpful uh, for many of us y- your time just so far has been. Well, let me say something about that group that uh, we seem to be conjuring up here, of people who have uh, <clears throat> encountered a lot of problems and are disturbed. They don't know quite what they believe anymore. Maybe they're angry and want to dump the profit entirely. Um, it's very easy to feel uh, in a situation like that, that you're outside the church, that you somehow marginalized yourself. You may even get excommunicated or people cast aspersions on your sincerity or your morality or all sorts of other things. And one way or another, you feel like you're um, not in the church anymore. And I, for one, don't believe that. I think um, Mormonism is not just home teaching and bishopric meeting. It's all these individual souls wrestling with the scriptures, with God, with their own souls, trying to find out what's right and true, and doing that sort of in this overall Mormon context. And I think people who are struggling uh, you know, may be obsessed with these questions to a certain extent, are showing us a kind of a worship and devotion that is deeply Mormon. I mean, who is more committed to the prophet Joseph Smith than Dan Vogel? Think of the millions of hours he spent with very little reward uh, on the prophet's documents, on his life. And even though we think he was an antagonist, and you know, probably an atheist, uh, when it comes to religion, still he he is engaged to Joseph Smith, and there's there's a kind of a devotion there that I for one think has to be respected. So while the institutional church may have to protect itself and cut these people off and label them as uh, agnostics, I think you know looking at it from God's point of view that there are a lot of these people are really you know, struggling souls. And some may be really evil, some may really be trying to harm and destroy, but I think there are a lot that are just trying to find out what they think is right. So I hope none of them feel like they're outside of Mormonism. They can't be outside of Mormonism as long as they think about Joseph Smith. That puts them inside of of the Mormon cultural boundaries, and that's of great importance. Yeah. I'm sure that Dan Vogel and others, and, and many of the people who feel that those people have been unduly picked upon will really appreciate those words. 
I had one other thing to say that I'd like to hear uh, discussed, and you referred to it, so I have the nerve to bring it up. Um, I'm just wondering, I think it would be good to have a discussion inside your group of what happens to a person, sort of morally and spiritually, after they've gone through one of these um, combats over Joseph Smith and the gospel. And, you know, we had this one image that I'm sure is true in, in lots of instances of people who kind of begin to let up on the standards. They don't pay tithing anymore, and then they may take a glass of wine, and, and they may smoke a little bit and maybe have a few brief affairs or what have you. Not that they're becoming demons, but just sort of a slackening, that that moral rigor that is required of Mormons and is sort of upheld by the sense this is God's purpose and will. Once that's relaxed, you know, everything kind of relaxes. And I don't know whether it ends up with people stop praying or stop even thinking of God or not, but um, that's one course that I can see uh, people following as a result of this disruption. But there's another course that I've seen in certain people I've known, which is quite different. Um, not so much, I'm not thinking so much of moral standards because I don't have any evidence of how that works. But spiritually, these people begin to feel like of all the things they learned in the church, the thing that really registers and seems true and lasting is Christ. You know, it's the sacrifice of Christ and the promise of forgiveness and the belief that Heavenly Father is working with his pitiful children to try to bring them along in some way. And Christ becomes very big. And I know that there are a lot of these ex-Mormons for Jesus for whom that's natural, but I've seen this even with more intellectual types um, that sort of stand on the margins of the church and they carpet the general authorities and this and that. But they still see Christ as of great importance to them. And so I'm, and these people I think probably pray, I don't know that for a fact, but they certainly have deep spiritual Christian yearnings that still govern their lives. And so I'd be just curious to have your people discuss uh, what happens to those who have been uh, beaten up by some of this historical evidence. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great that's a great topic, and I have some anecdotal you know experiences, and I, I definitely think it runs the gamut. Um, I think for many, the initial reaction is to just loosen up on the standards, and frankly, I've met far many. Um, unhappy people who have decided to throw it all away than I have people who have found more joy than they had when they were in. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, for one, am a huge advocate of praying, of maintaining membership, of attending, and not throwing anything away. Um, I even know of a guy who couldn't feel good about paying tithing, but he couldn't feel good about not paying tithing, and so he instead picked his five favorite charities and started taking that 10% and reallocating it because he couldn't he couldn't let go of the law of tithing even though he was struggling with the church and so mm -hmm. but that's a great question that's a really great question 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, you may be surprised that of all the things we've talked about, the most, the most um, consistent feedback I received were the very brief comments you made about Sunstone. And I wasn't trying to egg you on, and I don't, um, you know, I, I, I acknowledge, you know, the feelings and the frustrations um, that, you know, that you were expressing, especially in symposiums past about the Sunstone program, although I think Dan Witherspoon's really tried to clean that up. But, uh, you know, my one question I have for you is, where do people, you know, you can't go to Sunday school, you can't go to Elders Quorum, you can't even go to your bishop to talk about this stuff. And a lot of people feel like Fair and Farms, it's kind of a one-way conversation uh, where they try and control the forum and control who gets asked the questions and control who gets to answer it. And and while Sunstone, you know, may not be a perfect example of absolute, uh, you know, perfect moderation and positivism, you know, where do people go? Where can someone go to meet like-minded, light-thinking people to be inspired by people like you? And and people uh, like you know Benyon and England and others who have found a way to reconcile all this, you know, a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to have you come to a fireside in their stake or in their ward. And if not Sunstone, where can people go? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is one excellent question. I think that is one of the um, the most serious causes of these problems. Is it isn't just that you're hit by all this evidence, but there's no one who understands you, no one who can begin to uh, cope with the problems. Uh, there's a great tendency to dismiss these issues, saying that you're being misled and you just got to uh, close it off. So there is a kind of loneliness uh, that exists for these sort of isolated intellectuals and. Sunstone has found a group that um, you know brings them together, so that's all of the good. Uh, I, I regret that there are not more uh, Orthodox people in Sunstone. I think that's a, a sad thing, but you know how that all developed historically. Because what I always hope is that when these discussions occur, they're not strictly on the technical level of this fact versus that fact but that they have something to do with the state of our souls. After all, what we're looking for is to, you know, is to evolve, to grow into better people. And we need to keep reflecting back on uh, how we keep in touch with God, how we keep intelligence flowing into us. And I don't know if that goes on in Sunstone meetings or not, whether there are any of those voices. I'm sure there must be some. I occasionally see names of people I think would talk and act that way. Uh, because you don't want to just have it a place where the complainers get together and whine about their troubles. You, you do need to have a you know a real searching of, of self. And um, I hope that does go on at Sunstone. It, it's too bad if it doesn't. Well, definitely, it, I've definitely felt that in the in the two Sunstones I've attended. But I'm just wondering, you know, when the denunciation of symposia happened it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if all the traditional believing somewhat orthodox members are told not to show up, well, mm-hmm. that kind of forces Sunstone 
to be skewed towards the other side. And it's almost... See, unfortunately, that's not happening at the Mormon History Association meetings. There are all sorts of people give papers there. Dan Vogel gives papers there all the time, and uh, others who are critical of the Church. But Elder Jensen is there giving talks. Rick Turley is there. So there, and what I've heard uh, some of these brethren say is we need a place where people can express uh, all the all different views on our history. So I think there's uh, a growing recognition that um, we have to have sort of neutral spaces for discussion where people of all persuasions can uh, converse with each other. Whether or not we'll get that soon, I, I don't know. I've been hoping myself to organize some conferences for... Uh, on some of these issues, but it's um, <clears throat> it's just in the embryonic phase right now. Well, if I, I if I can ever help, uh, I'm just one small little voice, but I I'd love to help uh, to that end. Mm-hmm. Well, Brother Bushman, I just can't thank you enough for the time you've been willing to take with uh, me, but more importantly with the listeners to provide your very important, um, faithful, and still knowledgeable perspective. And uh, as we agreed up front, I kind of hit you with a lot of uh, hard questions in serial, almost like in a, a full frontal assault. But I wouldn't feel good if we didn't maybe end by having you share with us um, what clearly is the most important aspect of Joseph's work. I think no matter what you're beliefs are and that's the positive things that he did and so i would i would love it and be honored if you might conclude with us uh, a story or two that you feel captures uh, joseph as you've come to know him so intimately and maybe even share with us uh you know your final feelings about joseph in a, in a positive affirming light well, there's an awful lot to be said about Joseph and his achievements. Uh, rather than trying to sum up everything he did, which uh, I think is an incredible list of um, kind of revolutionary developments in the religious world of his time, um, then I'd just say a little bit about his character, because um, in some ways that's what's most interesting and perhaps most difficult about Joseph is what kind of a man was he? I began my work on him uh, with a sense of him being uh, exuberant, uh, supremely self-confident, maybe even a little brash. And there was much to confirm that view of him. Uh, Howard Corey, his clerk, uh, during part of the Nauvoo years, said that... uh, no matter who came to visit Joseph, no matter what their level of education or their standing in life, uh, he could always answer their questions. He was always sure of himself. And from all the other things I know, I think he may have been the dominant person in every room he entered. He was the center of attention and and uh, was able was very quick on repartee and, and had uh, something to say, usually kind of witty, uh, some people thought he was a little even light-minded. He uh, told so many jokes. So you sort of have that uh, uh, extroverted personality uh, to the forefront, and, and um, the way I thought of him for a long while. 
so it came as a surprise to me to discover um, that there was a, a sorrowful side to Joseph Smith, that in public he was exuberant and positive, as I had thought, but that when he was alone and left to contemplate, uh, sorrows would come over him. He was like Abraham Lincoln, who similarly was great on the uh, on the hustings and always had jokes and was a great speaker. But when he was alone, Lincoln would would uh, sort of descend into deep melancholy. And a recent book has argued uh, this was the source of his real creativity with these dark times. I don't think Joseph uh, was quite as beset uh, as Lincoln was. But he did have his melancholy moments. In fact, in those times of inactivity, uh, they almost always came upon him. We find out about them because those were moments when he'd write to Emma and uh, tell her how he was feeling. And one of my favorite stories uh, uh, has to do with one of these down times when he and Newell Whitney were returning from a visit to uh, Jackson County uh, in the summer of 1832, and as they were traveling along in the carriage, the horse ran away, and Joseph threw himself free of the carriage. Whitney tried to do the same, but his leg was caught in the wheel and crushed, and uh, Joseph had to uh, nurse him back to health for a month. They were sort of... Uh, trapped in Greenville, Indiana by uh, um, his uh, illness, by Whitney's illness. And uh, Joseph didn't have much to do, and he just went mad. He just couldn't stand the inactivity. And um, he wrote to Emma that every day he would go out into the woods and um, pray and uh, try to commune with the Lord. And keep himself in touch. And um, as he said in the letter, he would give vent to all the feelings of my heart. And then this is how some of the words he wrote to her. I've called to mind all the past moments of my life, and I'm left to mourn and shed tears of sorrow for my folly in suffering the adversary of my soul to have so much power over me as he has had in times past. But God is merciful and has forgiven my sins, and I rejoice that he sendeth forth a comforter unto many as believe, and humbleth themselves before him. It's very reminiscent of Nephi's lament, this powerful young son, leader of the people, could do anything equal to every uh, catastrophe. Uh, and yet uh, lamenting at the end of his life how Satan had too much power over him. And this was sort of characteristic of Joseph. He would fall into regret and, and uh, yearning and um, begin to speak of death. Near the end of the life, particularly, he spoke often of the tomb and, and how he wanted his family all to be buried together so they could greet each other on the resurrection day. And in this letter to Emma in 1832, near the end, he says, <clears throat> I will try to be contented with my lot, knowing that God is my friend. In him I shall find comfort. I have given my life into his hands. 
I'm prepared to go at his call. I desire to be with Christ. I count my I count not my life dear to me, only to do his will. I found that impressive because um, I sort of interpreted it as the underpainting in Joseph's life. You know how painters will put layers and layers of different pigments on the canvas before they put the final pigment on, and that top color is all influenced by the depths below it. Uh, and if you look at Joseph's scriptures, you look at his passages on Enoch, you look at uh, Mormon's lament at the end of his life, uh, and you realize that Joseph sorrow as well as of joy, and sort of understood the, the depths of human uh, suffering. And I think that this uh, sort of underlies his whole gospel I think Mormons themselves are sort of irrepressibly optimistic, maybe tending toward the smug and self-righteous. But under it all is this sense of the, the depths and and the struggles and, and sorrows of human life. And that's what uh, gives the gospel sort of its resilience and its power over our lives. So I find Joseph and, and his teachings um, sort of deep, endlessly deep and profound. Um, I really think the next frontier in Mormon thought is to explore the depth of his ideas. I don't think we've begun to understand just how they ripple through uh, our understanding of, of the universe and of human history. And we just have not produced scholars with sufficient depth and range to, to uh, speak of all these implications. But they're on the way. There's some very promising young people coming along who value Joseph Smith's thought and uh, see how it helps us to understand the whole world. And uh, I hope that those people will have the freedom and the courage to keep exploring uh, all those things. So that's my great hopes for the, the church. I myself uh, have always sort of thought in the Joseph Smith mode. It's, um, it's shaped my view of the world and my conduct. I've prayed and, and uh, paid tithing and <clears throat> gone on a mission and taken every church call that's come and been uh, quite willing to give my all and to consecrate myself in the, in the temple. And uh, all through my life, living that way has uh, brought so much goodness and brought me powers that are so far beyond my own capacities, which I consider to be very limited, uh, that I I would just be foolish to give up on all these good things. I wouldn't give them away for the world. So that's why I hold on to the teachings of Joseph Smith and why I hope that uh, as a people we'll be able to be worthy of them and to find out what their true meaning and possibilities are in understanding the world in which we live. Well, Brother Bushman, Dr. Richard Bushman, author of uh, Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling, let me again thank you on behalf of all my listeners for sharing with us your very important uh, insight, your scholarship, and most importantly, uh, your, your faith and your testimony. I can't thank you enough. All right. It was my pleasure, John. I've enjoyed uh, talking to you. 
Thank you. This program has been a production of Mormon Stories Podcast. To comment on this episode or to peruse the archives of past episodes, please visit us online at mormonstories.org. Also, please consider supporting Mormon Stories Podcast by making a contribution today. Thanks again for listening.